Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with April, and April is from Santa Cruz, California. Now, April has a very special calling. She publishes a magazine called Wildfire that she began three years ago after having breast cancer at the age of 35. And her magazine, Wildfire, is specifically for women who have breast cancer at a young age. So welcome, April. Thank you. Hello. Well, we are so glad to hear your story today. So I I feel like your intermittent fasting story is intertwined with your breast cancer story. Is that true? It's true. It's very true. So tell us how you found out about intermittent fasting and how that relates to the work that you're doing now. Sure. So I think that I might be one of those rare people who heard about intermittent fasting from a doctor. 
I feel, you know, we hear stories of people trying to convince their doctors about it, but I was on the other side of it. I, like you said, had breast cancer at 35, which was six years ago for me. And in the years after that of getting my life back in order, one part that remained difficult for me was the weight gain. I think there's this perception in media and probably just Hollywood, but that you get really skinny when you go through chemo and everything else. Right. But the reality is they actually give you a lot of steroids and different things during that time that actually make a lot of people gain weight combined with different therapies that affect hormones. I found myself up several pounds, even, even higher than when I had my child. So for me, the way I found my way to intermittent fasting was through trying a lot of different things to lose that weight. And if anything, everything I tried made me just gain more weight. And I reached this point where I felt really depressed and really out of touch with my body. You know, having cancer makes you feel like you can't really trust your body. You know, it grew this, this horrible thing. And for me, you know, I had no other symptoms. And so finally felt this lump, went to the doctor and am told while I'm there that I'm incredibly sick, you know, sicker than I've ever been. So I think in the years following that, I felt that I couldn't really trust my body. And then when I started- I I can imagine. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh no, absolutely. It's very disorienting. And for me, I went through a lot of anger at my body for that. And so then on the weight side of it, to then be just gaining, 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 like, you know, nothing I I could do was really working, made me just feel really disconnected from my body. And in a way, I kind of turned my back on it for a long time. But at my last big appointment, which was a year ago now with my oncologist, it was my five-year appointment, my five-year post-cancer appointment. You know, he checked me all out and he um, said that I was still living without evidence of disease, which is wonderful. And then he said, you know, is there anything else you want to talk about? And I have always kept things with him very cancer related, but I also have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I credit him with giving me these years post-cancer. So I got up the courage and told him that I was trying to lose weight and was feeling really frustrated that it wasn't working. And I just remember him kind of, you know, he snapped the cap back on his pen and he sat back and he just kind of regarded me for a minute. And I was expecting him to give me the spiel of what does weight matter? You're living your life post-cancer. Just be happy for what you have, you know, all of that. But instead, what he said was that he and his wife had read a book called The Obesity Code and that it might be something that I might be interested in. And he told me a little bit about intermittent fasting at that point. And like so many people, I really wanted to run away. It really scared me, you know. (laughs) And also at that point, I want to say that I had tried everything to lose weight. And at that point, when he was telling me that I had gone into this place of massive deprivation, you know, I was gluten-free, grain, you know, grain-free in general, sugar-free, dairy-free, oil-free. I had cut myself off of like everything. And so then having him tell me like, well, actually the solution is to eat even less kind of freaked me out. Um, (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) I could see that. You could be like, how can I possibly eat less? I'm not eating anything now. Exactly. Exactly. And it wasn't working. So why would this other thing work better? But I looked at him, you know, first of all, he's the smartest guy I know. You know, he's an oncologist. He's very trim. He told me his wife was also into it. I know that she's a surgeon. So I thought, like, who am I to to say that what they're doing is wrong. So I took down the information and I read the obesity code and from there found your book as well and decided to to put it into action. And I mean, obviously, because I'm here, you know, it, it was the thing. It was really the thing that worked for me. So that was a long story short that I came to it by way of my oncologist. Well, I just absolutely love that you heard about it from your oncologist and that he and his surgeon wife both do it. Right. That, that it helps them stay healthy and lean. That's fabulous. Exactly. Well, and it's one of those interesting stories too, where, you know, I'm looking at him and he's not overweight and he's never been overweight. And it was kind of a light bulb moment for me. Like, oh, this is why, you know, this is what they're right. doing. Yeah. How long have they done it? Did he share that with you? I think he had said something like maybe six months prior to telling okay. me about it. Yeah. So he was just new to it himself, but obviously knows that the health benefits are there. That's great. You know, a lot of people worry when they have to have a conversation with their doctor about it, but you'd be surprised more and more people are finding out about intermittent fasting from their doctors because a lot of doctors are familiar with the, the latest research and they're up on right. you know, the health benefits. You know, you've probably heard me say before, this is the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's but so I think true. That's important. Yes. Well, and so my doctor did also um, kind of graduate me from him and he really wanted me to go on to more of a general practitioner to to monitor my whole body versus just my breast area. And so I did feel some trepidation when I finally went to see this new person, you know, what, how are they going to respond to, to what I'm doing? But she had all of my lab work there from years past and she could just see from those numbers that whatever I was doing was working because I was pre-diabetic when I started intermittent fasting and I am no longer. And so I think she just saw that and was like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. That's great. So you've been doing intermittent fasting now for a year. Is that what she said? Just shy of a year. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. And were you able to lose all of the weight that you wanted to lose? Did you get back to your pre-cancer weight? How'd that all go for you? Yeah. So I have lost 70 pounds. Wow. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Wow. I'm really thrilled. So I I reversed the time back to not only pre-cancer, but from before having my pregnancy as well. I'm back to like college. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was just thinking about this uh, this week. I'm not at, you know, when we kind of set up goal weights, I had my big pie in the sky kind of weight. And that was the weight that I was when I was more like 17. And I'm not there yet, but I don't really care about the number anymore. Like I'm really happy to just see where my body wants to settle. And so far as the scale goes, I've been at the same number now for a couple of we maybe even a month now, but I just actually asked my husband to hide the scale away because I don't really care that much about it. I'm like so happy with where I am now. And I can also feel that my clothes continue to get looser. I'm seeing more like my collarbones, you know, are protruding a little more like little things like that. I can see that my body's still kind of shaking it out, but 
the scale number isn't so much important to me anymore. I think that's great. And we we hear that a lot as people kind of relax into the intermittent fasting lifestyle and realize it's going to be their long-term lifestyle no matter what, the scale kind of loses its its pull over us. See, the same mm-hmm. thing happened with me. And it was really right at about a year of mm-hmm. maintenance. I I stopped weighing. Then I got on again 14 months later and had lost two jean sizes, but only had gone down two pounds on the scale. So mm-hmm. right, <laughs> I think that? you're right yeah. to pay attention to your clothes. Well, I just also am so over that kind of dieting mentality of letting the scale determine whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. It's it's not a good way to live. So Yeah, I think that's important because that's also the way it, it treated me. You mm-hmm. know, I would, if the scale popped up, which it does, you know, the scale, especially for women, our scales can really fluctuate a lot mm-hmm. as we retain water or whatever, different times of the month. But I would good at that, look at that number and it would like make me just feel like I needed to over-restrict that day if the number was up. Exactly. Or that you can't really trust. You know, I thought I was feeling good, but clearly I'm not because the scale says I'm not. And I prefer to just go based on purely how I'm feeling. Yeah. I think that's that's smart. And I've, like I said, I hear a lot of people say that the longer they are with intermittent fasting, the more that they're able to trust their bodies and trust this, that the scale is not necessarily telling them the whole story. Mm-hmm. So I, I love hearing that. So what intermittent fasting pattern do you use? What is your daily routine? Yeah, so I've settled into doing a 20-hour fast every day with approximately a four-hour window. That part really fluctuates for me. Sometimes it's smaller. Often it's smaller, but sometimes it's a little bit longer. But my goal every day is 20-hour minimum. And I start when I started it, I was doing more of a um, alternate day. I think in the beginning, I was kind of trying out a lot of different things and just discovered that for me and my body, it works best just to do the same thing every day and not even really think about it. So yeah, that's where I've been now. In the beginning, I did um, the very, very first step into intermittent fasting for me was simply pushing out breakfast as far as I could and eliminating snacks. And I saw immediate results from just that, which I think was really, really helpful in letting me see the power of it. And then from there, was able to kind of play around with the the different hours. So yeah, so now I have my window in the evening so that I can eat dinner with my family. So almost every day, my window opens between three and four. And I'll sometimes have a snack at that point and sometimes not. And then we'll have dinner with my husband and my daughter and then close it by seven. Yeah, that sounds a lot like what what mine just naturally gravitates to. I think I usually keep mine open maybe a little later than seven just because of that last glass of wine. Yes. (laughs) My my wine window. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So you tried alternate daily fasting. Was that after reading the obesity code? It was, yes. And I, after reading your book as well, came to realize that a lot of the things that I put into practice from the obesity code were kind of intermittent fasting training wheels. And I think that they worked really well for me in getting going. So yeah, I tried the alternate day, you know, he has some different protocols in there. And also I read the, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but he has another one where he kind of lays out some different ways of fasting. The complete guide to fasting. That's right. Yes. So because of both of those, that was kind of how I started. And also, you know, it sounds scary at first to think I'm not going to eat lunch every single day or not eat breakfast every day. So 
mentally, I think I needed a little bit of, like I said, these training wheels to help me get there. I also started with doing broth and some different things too. And then it wasn't until I think I read your book that I realized one, that that might be slowing me down from getting to where I wanted to get. But two, it was a relief to me actually to read your book and realize I didn't need to make a huge pot of broth every weekend and do all these other things to set me up for the week. I could just not eat, you know, I could just could eliminate. Just fast. Yeah. Just, yes. So did yeah. The, fast, the, the fasting get easier when you, when you stopped with those, the broth and everything else? You know, for me, they, I was having results at that point and probably because it was so early on for me, I almost, it's hard to describe it, but for me, prior to starting fasting, it felt like no matter what I did, I couldn't lose weight. But once I started these very simple things, stretching these windows of time between eating, it the weight fell off for me so quickly and easily, it almost seemed more like I had been trying to keep the weight on. Like it seemed so much more the opposite than what I had thought was going on. It, it just, yeah, it, it worked fine for me in the beginning. I don't know if I would have gotten as far as I have. I probably would have stalled out. But okay. at that point... It, it was falling off. And I think that I read your book probably within a month of that. I'm kind of a research hound, so I, I read everything. So it wasn't very long before I read your book. Well, the, I, I, I'm the same way. I read everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everything everything ever written, I'd pull it up and I read it. And I, I right. prefer reading to listening. I know a lot of people like to listen to audiobooks. Are you a reader or a listener? I do both, actually. It's funny. My husband can't do this, but we, uh, so we have a little book club of two and we tend to read a book and, and discuss it. He only listens to the audiobook. I like to have both and then I'll read the book at night in bed. But during the day while I'm going about my day, I'll listen to it. Yeah. So I'm a little of both. That's great. I love that the two of you do that together. Yeah, it, it's been really fun. It's a new thing for us in the last year, but it's been really fun. So does he do intermittent fasting? He does, actually. He was a later adopter. I think he kind of wanted to see what it was going to do for me. And looking back now, I have so much gratitude and respect for him because every time I tried something, he tried it as well. Maybe not right away. But at that point, when I went to my oncologist and was in that severe deprivation state, he also was in that that place with me of not, you know, we cut out everything. And I think he thought, you know, logically, that made more sense than not eating for so long during the day. But then as the months went by, and he saw me having results, he's also doing it. He's not doing the 20 hour, though, his is more I think he's more between 16 and 18 hours right now and just pushing his breakfast out and then having lunch at work. And then I know he waits three hours or so, three to four hours between his meals and then comes home and has dinner. That's very much what my husband does too. He okay, yeah. a, he has a couple meals a day and my husband didn't need to lose any weight. Did yours? Did he? Did he? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, you know, sympathetic dieter and sympathetic weight gainer, okay. you know, through pregnancy and everything else, too. <laughs> <laughs> My husband's one of those annoyingly always thin people that never understood the struggle ever. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, you know, when I was struggling so hard, he was like, just, you know, don't eat so much. I'm right. Like, Thanks, skinny dude. <laughs> right. That's very helpful. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. He must move more, duh. 
<laughs> so he never had to had to figure it out, but he does it just for the health benefits. Now, I want to circle back around to what what you're eating because you talked about how mm-hmm. you had been gluten-free, grain-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, mm-hmm. oil-free. Have you reintroduced those things, all of those things, some of those things? Yes. So where I am now is a lot different from when I first started fasting. I feel like I, for the most part in the beginning, kept restricting those things. I um, I, I think it's a personality trait of mine where I do things like 110%. So I thought, well, I'll start fasting, but I'll also keep off all these things and then I'll have the greatest results of anyone. I'll just rock this thing. (laughs) (laughs) But I pretty soon realized that in order to make it to my 20 hours, I really needed to have a good, good dinner and feel not only nutritionally like I had ticked off all the boxes, but from a like nurturing point of view, like an enjoyment point of view, I also needed to make sure that that meal felt really good. And so over time, I I don't think it was very long before we introduced oils back in and things like that. But slowly, I've reintroduced everything. I don't necessarily have simple carbs every meal or every dinner, rather. That one, I've definitely tried to keep other things like bigger on my plate because I just notice it's easier for me to make it to the 20 or 21 hours if I've had more healthy fats and more protein and things like that. But I don't really restrict myself. So if it sounds good, I usually have it. Same with sugar. The only thing that I still am at this point is I've learned that cheese isn't necessarily my friend. And I have always been vegetarian. So Okay. Okay. So you, you are still a vegetarian yeah, without the cheese, and I see that makes me sad. <laughs> I, <love laughs> I know, me I too. It, but you know, here's the thing about intermittent fasting: it really helps us pinpoint what foods don't work well for us. Yes, yes, I think you're right. I think you know, it probably never fully agreed with me, but I also have learned how tiring digestion is, and lots of other things that I think I was just dealing with day in and day out, and so having this opportunity to to experience what it's like to not have that feeling. And then, you know, when you eat, you can more identify like, oh, that food right there was, that's my problem. So, right. You know, that's, that's been the same for me and I'm not a vegetarian, but I tend to gravitate that way now. Like I've Mm -hmm. learned a whole lot of meat does not agree well with me. Like it Mm -hmm. just kind of sits there in my stomach like a slab. And so... Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting too, because I've noticed that other foods do that for me where it's that heaviness, you know, and you, I think you kind of learn that some foods don't give you that feeling and other foods. Yeah. It just kind of make you feel more sluggish. Exactly. And even like some, some meats make my stomach actually hurt. Like, like oh, if I have okay. a lot of really fatty bacon uh-huh. <laughs> like, or prosciutto, it, you know, I love the taste of it, but it just, ugh. It's not a great right. stomach, <laughs> which is sad because right. it tastes delicious. But part of being a grown up is realizing, you know, that just doesn't work well for me. Right. And it doesn't, it's interesting too, because I think that the mindset doesn't have to be, I can't have that food. It's just, I don't have that food because it doesn't right. work with me. Yeah. It, and, and that's a huge mindset shift. Instead of feeling like you're restricting you know that you don't want to feel that way. That's that's mm-hmm. again part of that that grown up mentality of, <laughs> you know, I right. could, I just don't want to. 
Oh, exactly. I think it's interesting too, when you boil it down to just having this one meal a day, that it becomes more like, I only want to eat something really awesome. You know, I don't want to I don't want to waste this meal or, or whatever. I just want to eat the stuff that feels really good and tastes really good and not have to pay for it in some way. Exactly. Exactly. That's really important. And I just think it also is so important for us to keep reiterating that the same foods aren't going to work well for the exact same people. You know, right. The foods that work for you and the foods that work for me and the foods that work for somebody else are going to, going to be different. How about your husband? Is he also vegetarian? No, he's not. Although I do the majority of the cooking. And so just by that, he and my daughter both eat far less meat than they usually or than they would, you know, left to their own devices. Right. But no, if we eat out, they'll both get something, something meaty. But otherwise at home, we tend to eat. In fact, we tend to eat more vegan at home because I get one of the meal kits delivered. And so that just has made it a lot easier for us. But but yeah, they're Which not. Meal kit do you use? I love I love the meal kits. I'm always interested in what other people are using. Yeah, we've been doing this from before I started fasting, but we do the Green Chef. Okay, yeah, I like Green Chef a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really nice not to have to think about it. And after starting fasting, I just don't, I can't, I don't know what to do with leftovers. So it's <laughs> really, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice that it's just you know I know we're gonna make it and eat it and that's that. So that that really is true because. When I was cooking before the meal kits, you know, I use a few different meal kits. Green Chef's one I've used before, but I am apparently really bad at cooking small portions. I don't know. Whenever (laughs) I make something, there's enough for like a week. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I know. And it's this problem, right? Yeah. It is. Because we, you know, we don't want to eat it anymore. We're like, we're tired of this. (laughs) Right. Then you have to throw it away. And I hate to throw away food. I know. I don't like to either. I wish my daughter was able to do more leftovers for her lunch at school, but we haven't, we haven't figured out a way to make them stay hot enough for her to really enjoy that either. But that might be something down the road we could do. But for now, I just would prefer not to have them. So. And how old is your daughter? She's 10. Oh, that's such a good age. Is she in fifth grade? She's in fifth grade. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, she probably for a lot of people is an interesting factor in my fasting because I've never wanted to give her any kind of body stuff, you know, body complex or anything like that. Yeah. So doing intermittent fasting around her has been interesting for me because I don't want to accidentally make her think that she should be doing this or that there's you know, her, her growing and gaining weight is a bad thing by any means or anything like that. So yeah, it's been interesting, especially having my husband do it and we talk about it to keep the conversation more along those health benefits instead of the weight related stuff. I think, I think that's really smart. So how, what do you explain to her? What did you tell her about it? What does she know? Yeah. So when I very first started it, she was very much aware that I was going to be doing it. And I think mostly just because I told her that I wouldn't be eating breakfast with her before school, but I would still be having coffee. And I just didn't want her to be alarmed or surprised, I guess. And obviously, she's not here for lunch. So she didn't even know that that was not happening. But I just told her that I had done some reading and learned that for my body to help kind of reset my systems, I needed to give my body a longer break between eating dinner and when I ate my next meal. And I I could see that that made sense to her, but she also immediately said, maybe I should do that too. 
So I just told her that children have totally different bodies and have totally different needs for how they use the fuel from the food and that she needed her morning breakfast. But that's a great way. Yeah. yeah. And she she got that, right? She she got it. She totally did. But I will tell you one thing that's shifted for me is I no longer shove food at her the way that I did prior to learning all this, because I think that I don't know if other parents do this, but I tended to immediately go to food if she was upset or whatever behavioral thing was going on, I would immediately be like, oh, maybe you need more protein or maybe you're you just haven't eaten recently or, you know, I was constantly suggesting that food would be the answer to whatever was going on for her. And now I'm much, well, I don't even bring it up. You know, I let her bring up whether she needs a snack or something, but also with breakfast, I've noticed some days she maybe doesn't eat breakfast and she more eats a brunch. And I just, I don't even mention it. You know, we just kind of roll on through. I think that's fabulous. I mean, you are giving her a foundation of, you know, having a healthy relationship with food and not eating just because it's time or she's supposed to, or it'll make her feel better. I hope so. Yeah. 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 Gosh, if I could have been saved all those years of all that, what a gift, right? So it's true. You know, and we're, we're taught that, you know, you got to eat breakfast, you know, within five minutes after your feet hit the floor or something. Mm -hmm. You've got to make sure your kids eat this giant breakfast and whatever. And of course we, we know that kids aren't supposed to fast because they're growing. Right. And it's not good for them. But but that's not the same as forcing breakfast down their throat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and I also feel that, you know, some days she's going to naturally be more hungry than other days. Like if she eats a giant dinner, then it stands to reason she might not need a big breakfast. But if if I arrive as her mother to each day, like it's a, you know, a blank slate and she needs to eat that breakfast, it's yeah, it's not teaching her to listen to her body at all. Exactly. Well, I think that's fabulous. I noticed when my own boys were in school, now they're they're college age, but when they were young and going to middle school, high school, our school system went to free breakfast for everybody in the whole school system. Mm. It was something to do with the number of free and reduced lunch. So everybody in the whole school system got free or got like just they meals. It was easier, I think, for them to keep up with. Sure. So I was like, all right, there's going to be breakfast at school. Y'all could just eat breakfast at school. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think they, they often didn't. Like they would go and I wasn't there with them. So I, I think that they naturally just started not eating unless they felt like it. Yeah. Instead of, because I used to always present them with a breakfast first thing in the morning. But then when it was like up to them, they often didn't eat. Uh huh. Right. There and they didn't want it. And it's so interesting, right? Because it goes against so much of what we're taught about needing to eat constantly. And so, yeah, I think it's really great if we can kind of teach this next generation to be a little bit more in tune with their bodies, then right. maybe they'll, they'll avoid some of the ups and downs. And neither of them struggled with their weight until they went off to college. And Mm -hmm. then each of them had a little bit of the freshman 15. Right. Well, and that was the same for me. I was very um, thin or just like a normal weight all the way until college. And looking back on it, I remember now that I would come into the kitchen and tell my mom I was hungry when she was making dinner and she would offer me a carrot or something. You know, it was like a a snack that I just didn't, wasn't even interested in. So I was almost more naturally fasting between meals at that point, just because of our family's approach to food where you just, you kind of, either you're going to eat a carrot or you're going to have nothing until dinner. Right. And looking back on that, I mean, that totally changed when I was in charge of my own food in college. And plus, you know, my mom was more cooking 
healthy things versus the pizza and Ben and Jerry's that I was eating at college. But I, I kind of wish we'd had some more discussion about that at home. It was, but I don't even know if my mom was thinking about it. It was just how how she was cooking and how it probably was in her house when she was growing up. Right. We just we didn't eat all the snacks, especially right before dinner. Exactly. Exactly. But now, you know, it's so common when you pick up your kids from school to give them a snack. And it's like no one really expects the kids to wait till dinner anymore. It's true. And they've also had lots of snacks while they were at school. Right. Uh-huh. That's, that's changed. Do you send snacks with her? Do they have like snack time at school? And um, She does. Her school gives her a snack. They tend to do more like nuts and things like that. But I know that she does sometimes eat part of her lunch, you know, earlier if she needs right. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, just learning to listen to her body. I think that's that's the most important part. Mm-hmm. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories. Promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people keep intermittent fasting to themselves, whereas other people are more likely to share it with with everybody. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm one of those sharers. You know, people thought I was crazy for a long, long time. <laughs> are you a, a sharer or do you keep it to yourself? I've done both. When I first started, I definitely kept it to myself because I think I tried telling a couple people and instantly got people telling me that it wasn't it wasn't a good idea and I needed to eat six meals a day and all the reasons why. And so I, I think I learned pretty quick that if I didn't want to have to have those conversations, just not to bring it up. And then as I started losing weight, some friends said, you know, so what are you doing? Like, I, I can see that something is happening here. And so then I would selectively tell people. But in the last few months, I've become much more 
outspoken about it, particularly in the breast cancer, the young breast cancer community that I'm a part of, because it's a very common conversation there that people have had all these hormone fluctuations. They may have even had hysterectomies or are taking hormone blockers as part of their cancer recurrence prevention. And so these conversations about weight gain Also, I should say a lot of people go into like a premature menopause also from chemo and different things. And so this conversation about the weight gain associated with both the cancer treatment and the life after cancer is very common. And I feel like I'm sitting on this this answer. You know, I finally found this thing that's working, at least for me, and I want to tell people about it. But I've also learned, like, even if you say to someone, like, I think I know the answer to the question that you're asking they might not be ready to hear intermittent fasting, you know? So yeah. So what I've done more is kind of just put it out there that I'm, I've made this huge change this year and I'm feeling really good and this is what I'm doing. And if people ask me questions, great. If they want to tell me 25 reasons why it's bad for me, then I mean, they can do that too. But for me, it's been more of this journey of feeling back in touch with my body after such a traumatic diagnosis. And I also had a mastectomy with my breast cancer and opted not to have reconstruction. And so I only had my left breast removed. And for five years, I wore a big silicone prosthetic that I put in my bra. Uh, in my bra. And uh-huh. um, kind of combined with the, the losing weight, I stopped wearing that prosthetic and have felt much more comfortable being out in the world asymmetrically. And so it's all kind of wrapped up and happening at the same time. But as I'm having conversations with people about, you know, mastectomy options and that no reconstruction is also an option, the intermittent fasting is also coming into play there as I am explaining how I feel just back in my body in a lot of different ways. And I think the fasting has been such a huge part of that. It it sounds like it's just empowered you in so many different ways. It truly has. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, where I felt like my body had really let me down by growing this cancer in the first place. I felt just really angry and resentful. And so then when I was trying to lose weight and it wasn't losing weight, it was furthering those feelings of this body is not mine and I don't know what's going on, but clearly it's not mine to have any control over. So then to just regain some of that feeling that I can influence my health, there are things I can do. It's not all just pure luck has been really empowering. Yeah. You know, my grandmother went through breast cancer and she had a double mastectomy and she did have reconstruction. This is, I was little. I mean, I was young. I don't even remember her going through breast cancer. I was too young to know. I just, you know, heard about it when I was older, of course. But then she had all sorts of trouble with the implants. Oh, yes. I know lots of Her health was really, I mean, her health was not good for, I think, the whole rest of her life after that. That's a bummer. Yeah. That's one of my feelings is that we need more of these conversations just so women know that they do have options. And lots of women do opt to have the implants, which is great as long as you know you know what you're choosing and that you right. might have to have a lot of other surgeries to get them exactly the way you want them. And like you said, you might also have health issues. I think the implants have probably changed a lot. She was in the era of the silicone implants mm-hmm. or 
whatever was the really bad. Yeah. They, they don't use that type of thing anymore, right? They Well, they do still have some silicone, but they've made a lot of changes to them. And there are a lot of other options now too, including just using your own body fat and things like that too. It's, it's really kind of a good time to, I mean, it's not a good time to have breast surgery. Right. I know what you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. <laughs> it's, it's better. It's a, they're yeah. better options. You know, I wish I could go back and talk to my grandmother. You know, we have these we lose the time to talk to them, but we don't know that we want to have these conversations I know with it. them. And it's we miss true. Them. I so my grandmother also had breast cancer, and I don't think that she had reconstruction. I really should ask some members of my family, but and now that I have experienced it myself, thinking back and picturing her chest, I don't think that she had breasts. But as a kid, I don't remember really putting that together. I just remember thinking her chest looked different. You know, right. Yeah, but you just you, we we don't we don't know to ask or that we should be interested. Exactly, you know, we're just normal kid world, right? Oh, exactly. And but, some things you don't even know that's possible. Like, how could she not have breasts? You know, so yeah, I, I wish they'd been more open about it when I was young because I just didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to your your daughter about all of this? Yes. Yeah, so my daughter was three, going on four when I was diagnosed, and so breast cancer has been a big part of her world. Uh, awareness for that whole time. And so, yeah, we've had lots of conversations both about breast cancer, but about also me not having that reconstruction. She was so delighted by my prosthetic. She used to just carry it around herself and cuddle with it. (laughs) Yeah. She had a whole relationship with it. Um, That's so funny. But yeah, I love kids. I do too. And I just love that she's given me an opportunity to kind of reframe things for myself as I've needed to talk to her about different things. And I've worried that she would be embarrassed about me being asymmetrical, especially being thinner now, you know, I'm not wearing such baggy clothes and it's, it is a lot more obvious, but she's never had any kind of, or she's told me that she never feels embarrassed. Like it doesn't matter to her. It's just whatever feels good for me. And so I know that things might change as she becomes more of a teenager, but for now, I'm just really open with her that I think everyone should dress their bodies and wear or don't wear whatever makes them feel best. And for me, not wearing this prosthetic feels, feels really good. Yeah. I think you're get, you're teaching her very important lessons. And of course, yes, there's going to be some time in there when she's hard to get along yes, with. I bet. She's about to get there. <laughs> Middle school is so... <laughs> oh gosh. It, it can be a tough one, but maybe she'll sail through it. Maybe. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think that's great. So I want to hear more about your magazine. Oh, yeah. Where can people find it? Absolutely. So the best place to find it is on my website, which is wildfirecommunity.org. So yeah, I make this magazine. It's both by and for other people facing breast cancer under 45. 45-ish is kind of the time that the resources for the more median age of being diagnosed are those materials kind of don't really feel like they pertain to you if you're younger than 45. So I made this magazine for women who were diagnosed younger in their 20s and their 30s and early 40s to tell their stories and find community, see pictures of other people going through it. I publish it every other month. So actually just yesterday, the latest issue came out, which is all about parenting through breast cancer which is interesting that we're talking about so much about my daughter because it's like, you know, that's, that's a huge thing. If you get breast cancer young, chances are you either have young children or you were planning to start a family and that really threw a monkey wrench in. 
So that whole issue is just, you know, different little tips and tricks that people found to make that time more easy for their child. Like for me, I wrote a piece in there about taking my child on these what I called little escapes from cancer land trips where we would just get in the car and drive away, you know, an hour or two and not talk about cancer at all unless she wanted to and just have a little vacation from it. Even though, you know, I was bald and, you know, it was physically obvious that I was going through this, I felt that she and I both needed these afternoons or whatever where we didn't talk about it at all and could pretend that life was the same as it had been. Yeah, I, th- I think that's important. Yes, I, it was great to also reconnect with her because I was terrified that going through that process was damaging her and she would never get to be a um, carefree little kid. So we would do these little adventures and she would play and I would have my faith that we would get through it restored and I would feel filled up and yeah, it was a challenging year, but little tricks like that, or moms told stories of how their kids helped them shave their heads, or some moms dressed up for their chemo infusions and wore like, you know, Wonder Woman outfits and different things to kind of make that time more fun for their kids and less scary. So each time I publish the magazine, it's on a theme. Um, I've done the mental health theme. I've done a bot, like just a body specific theme. And so, yeah, it's just about telling those stories. And they, they can get it through your website. Do they subscribe so, and they, yeah. can they get it? Mm-hmm. They or is it, is it like edition by edition? So it's both. I So I do it digitally and I do it in print. You can subscribe okay. on the website and you can also get a trial subscription to check it all out, check out the archives and everything. That would just be digitally. And then you can also just buy individual issues that speak to you. And all of that is at wildfirecommunity.org. I just I wanted to make sure that that listeners knew because you know they may know somebody who is in your target age group who is dealing with breast cancer who could right. really benefit from from this resource. Well, sadly, so listeners, yeah, go check it out. <laughs> right? Yes, because sadly, we almost all know someone who has had breast cancer, and there's a lot more women also now finding out that they have a gene mutation that predisposes them, and a lot of those same kind of preventative surgeries and things are you would you would have a mastectomy if you had breast cancer or if you were trying to diminish your risk and so people in that that group also find a lot of community in this breast cancer community as well yeah that makes sense now did you have the gene do you know i so it's interesting i've so far tested negative to the gene mutations that we know about but my like i said my grandmother had breast cancer a lot of women on my dad's side of the family had breast cancer and my dad passed away from pancreatic cancer so okay. yeah so my oncologist is like you know you probably have like it seems like there's a genetic thing going on here we just haven't figured out what it is. Yeah, there's so much we don't know Mm -hmm. even, you know. Right. We we have these things we do know, but then so many things, you know, so many other factors. Right. Well, and I just read also, you know, there's some of those um, genes, uh, gene mutations that we are becoming more and more familiar with, like BRCA is one, and they're becoming more mainstream that we're hearing about them Um, with that one because Angelina Jolie had that one. So when she had her preventative mastectomy, we all heard about it. But I've actually heard that there's something like 100 now, 100 different gene mutations that breast cancer is part of. So they're, they're figuring it out. 
That's good. That's good. So have you been back to your oncologist since you lost all the weight? Has he seen you? Does he know? <laughs> he does. You know, I was just in there the other day, not for a visit, but I drop the magazine off there every time I have a new issue. And he's been so supportive of my um, starting this magazine that he lets me bring it in there to the infusion center. So the other day I was in and he saw me and he we hadn't seen each other in a few months because sometimes when I drop it off, he He's not there at the nurse's station, but on this particular day, he was there and he walked by. And so I have purple hair, I should say. And so I, um, <laughs> I saw him do like a little like, oh, you know, someone's here with purple hair. Maybe that's April. I saw him do that little double take. And then I saw him like fully look at me and he just said, wow, you look amazing. Like, how do you feel? And I said, I feel amazing. So yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So he, he is not only on board, but he just is just excited in the changes that he's seeing. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Well, and it's like I said, it's just, you know, he's my guy. He's my, my, the smartest guy I know. And to have him just be such a champion for my health in all these different ways has been really empowering. I love that. That's just great. I wonder if he has done any learning about using fasting with chemotherapy. I know that has he, has he talked about that at all with you? Not with me. No. So I'm not sure. But you're right. I do see that conversation come up a lot where different people have found that they feel a lot better incorporating fasting into going into it. And I think conventional wisdom tells people that they shouldn't do it because chemo makes you feel so much weaker. But I have noticed that there's a lot of people who are trying it. And, and when I'm saying I'm noticing it, this is like in Facebook groups and right. things like that. But yeah, I have really found that they're getting through the the hardest days of their chemo cycle a little more easily when they've incorporated some fasting into it. Yeah. And this is an area that that scientists are actively doing some research, mm -hmm. not just something people are going out willy-nilly and <laughs> doing, but... No, right. Yeah. And it's such an interesting topic too about nutrition and chemo um, because it really, the the chemo drugs really change the way that your mouth feels. I developed a lot of mouth sores and it literally changes the way food tastes. And so sometimes you have to really pay attention to what you're eating to make sure you're getting the nutrition that you need. But then there's also that component of comfort as well. And so I think that there's an interesting opportunity there for them to do more research on the fasting part of it too, just to make sure that when you are eating, your body is able to use those nutrients and really get what you need. Yeah, I think that's important because you need the the good nutrients even more than ever because you're trying to... Right. To protect protect your healthy cells. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's interesting because when you go into the chemo, I always call them the chemo lounges, the infusion centers. They always have these big baskets of candy and things, which I'm always wondering why they do that. I, I I don't often see a lot of people eating out of it, but I think there is an opportunity there for more conversations around the food that you have when you're ill. Yeah, I, th I think so. And of course, I am no expert on cancer, mm -hmm. uh, but I have read and heard that sugar is not necessarily what you want to have a lot of because it, it can feed your cancer. Right? I heard that too. I think there's still, I think that there's some people who say that and there's some people who say that that's been proven not to be the case. Okay. So okay. I'm not really sure what, what the current thought is on that right now. Yeah, I don't know either. I've just heard yeah. that. And so mm -hmm. I feel like 
even if it's not true, the last thing I would do is like gravitate to the sugar. <laughs> but right. It's exactly. easy to say that. But if you're going through it, maybe, you know, you're like, I need this sugary comfort. I don't know. It's, it's easy to talk about something in the abstract for those of us that have not been through it. Right. It's true. Well, and then I think the good thing is that there's so many people doing good, good work on the fact that you want to feel comfort. And we tend to think that sugar is going to make us feel that comfort. But I think there's other things like maybe a really good bowl of like rice pudding or something, you know, like maybe we can find some middle ground that would make you feel like you're getting that, that comfort, but we can pack in a little bit of nutrition with it too. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, a great point. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. So I want to ask if there's anything you struggle with as far as intermittent fasting, anything that's hard Well, I recently, so no, but I recently went through a little period where intermittent fasting got hard for me. And it was such a great reminder that when, when it's hard, maybe something needs tweaking. And I love this idea that I'm sort of experimenting with my body all the time and doing these little tweaks with the fasting. So I recently switched my vitamin to the morning and this was in the last couple of months because I thought that it was interfering with my sleep. I thought the B vitamin was keeping me awake. Yeah. Right. So I didn't even think about it. I was just like, well, I'll just start having it with my coffee in the morning. And then slowly it dawned on me after several weeks went by that I was having a really hard time getting to that 20 hour mark in my fast. And I was just, I think you say kind of white knuckling it all day. Right. And it wasn't a question that I was going to get there because I've just, you know, it's become such a habit. But I slowly realized that every day I was actively planning what I was going to eat the second that the clock hit that mark. And it was just taking up way more of my thoughts than it had prior. So the only thing I could think of that had changed was that vitamin. And so I switched it back to right when I open my window, I I still don't think that I want to have it as late as dinner. But if I have a little snack at three or four, then I'll take my vitamin then so it doesn't keep me awake. And 
just like magic. It my fast has gone back to being so easy and it just was a good reminder that if it becomes challenging then maybe it needs some tweaking. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, people often ask about supplements and medications and vitamins and can they have them during the fast? And of course the the answer about medication is, you know, never never take it on yourself to change your medication without talking to your doctor. Always keep taking that as prescribed, but supplements and vitamins, there's no like one answer. Like, yes, it breaks the fast or no, it doesn't because they're all just so different. Right. And it really showed for me that I think it's very individual and you do have to kind of listen to your body and see. And it just, I, apparently it, for me, it does, or it just makes my body think that I'm going to have food coming. So it gets ready for it. And it could just be your your vitamin itself may be more food-like, you know. Right. Some of them are more closely, you know, depending on how they're made. Mm-hmm. They're very, you know, very food-like, whereas others may not be a problem. Right. I think that's a really great point because now that I'm thinking of it, mine, I think, probably is very food, at least food-derived, so. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the kind of vitamin I always would gravitate towards, too, the mm-hmm. ones that you can tell they're they're using, like, food ingredients. Right. Real. Real stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, good. I'm glad you figured that struggle out. And that's an important lesson for everybody. If fasting has been easy, then all of a sudden it gets hard. Think about, hey, what's different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think- Or if know, it never gets easy. Right. You know? Right. Then there might be more tweaking. You know, that is an interesting point too, because I now have a few friends who are starting fasting and they'll say to me, like, I'm not getting the results I want or- Something just isn't, doesn't seem to be clicking as easily. And I always tell them it's like, you need to just play around with it. Like just because I do a 20 hour fast doesn't mean that's the one that's going to work for you. Like, exactly. yeah, I think everyone has to, has to arrive at it with kind of a experimentation point of view. That really is so key because, you know, a lot of people have great success. You've had great success. And, you know, people that we, we see on the Facebook groups have had great success and when anybody posts their photos of like their amazing success, people are like, tell me exactly what you eat yeah. and exactly what your fasting window is, exactly how you do it. I'm going to do that. Right. But, but that's really a flawed way of looking at it because that's that's not how it works for us. Well, and I think that part of that comes from the more of the dieting mentality because we are kind of taught that if you just follow this prescription for health, then you'll have these results. And if you aren't, then you're just not doing it hard enough or, exactly. you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I love that you said that you're not doing it hard enough. <laughs> and I, I want to get that in there because some people think that, you know, the answer is always shortening your eating window. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not getting results, shorten that eating window, mm-hmm. keep, keep it shorter. And I've even had people, you know, say, oh, a 30 minute window is the best or a one hour window is the best, the shorter you can get it. But no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, shorter right. is not better. Yes. You don't have to fast harder. <laughs> I know. Well, and if people are like me, you know, when I do anything, I do it, like I said, 110%. And for, for dieting and things, it does seem like less less is going to be more. But something I, I feel like I read this from you was that if you are binging or you arrive, you know, at the end of your fasting window and just can't, can't not eat everything in your kitchen, then it might be that you have too long of a window and you need to play around with that. Yeah. Binging is always a bad sign. Now, at, at first, when you first start intermittent fasting in your first month or so, a lot of people have what Dr. Burt Herring called compensatory overeating mm-hmm. because your body's not adjusted to fasting. But if you find that binging is getting worse over time after you should have adjusted, you know, if, if you're in your second month, then 
you know, that's a sign that you've not found the window that works for you. Mm-hmm. It could just be, you need to lengthen it, have a snack and then wait and then have a meal or start with your meal and then later have a snack or, you know, have two small meals at either end. You know, there's no one best way. Right. And I think that when people, I mean, I think at first, if you're just starting out fasting, that might sound really terrifying because you do want kind of that prescription of like, just do this right. and you'll, yeah. But ultimately, like so much else with intermittent fasting, it's really this ticket to freedom to learn about your body. And yeah, this way of doing, trying different things and really getting in touch with yourself. But also, I just love that fasting is this, I don't know, you don't have to buy all these supplements and do all these different things. You can just quietly experiment with yourself and eliminate things or add things back in. And it doesn't have to be this huge investment of money or anything else. It's really, a, it, it just gives you back yeah. so much. Yeah. It does. That, that's a great way of looking at it. I agree completely. <laughs> so we are almost out of time. It just goes by so fast. I can't believe it. What would you tell somebody who's just starting out with intermittent fasting? What advice would you give them? I think that the biggest advice I would give someone is to really give it time and to really go into it with the plan to do the clean fasting. I don't regret that I started mine with more of those training wheels, but I'm glad that I didn't need them for very long because I think that the real magic is in the true clean fasting. And so, yeah, it would be twofold just to give it some time, let your body kind of figure out what you're doing and don't step on the scale constantly. Just, just try to, just try to trust the process. Right. I love that. That is such good advice. Well, April, this has been a fabulous conversation. And again, tell everyone your, your website one more time where they can find yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. So it's Wildfire Magazine at wildfirecommunity.org. All right. And I hope that people who um, may be going through breast cancer themselves or who know a young woman who is going through it, I hope that they'll check it out and share this with, with the people that they love. Thank you, Jen. It's been such a great conversation. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at resonaterecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.